0: I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bang, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Lizzie Feidelson, a writer for The New Yorker who recently published a piece called A Tribute to Edie Falco as Carmela Soprano. Lizzie called in from the city to talk sopranos and delve deeper into her great piece. So many great points to think about, many that I'd never considered before. Special thanks to Lizzie for doing the podcast and indulging my questions. So here it is, my conversation with Lizzie Feidelson of The New Yorker. Lizzie, thanks for doing the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: So first off, what's your Sopranos story? When did you start watching and when did you become hooked?
1: Um, I started watching in college, I think. Um, I had a boyfriend who really liked the show. And I sort of feel like I've just been like watching it continually since then. Um, (laughs) The main thing that I feel like I experience when I watch the show is just like, I have to keep taking breaks, Um, like... Every time I rewatch, I sort of get to this point where I need to sort of step back and stop watching for a little while. Just like the sort of desperate mentality of a character is just sort of like creeps in and I have to take a break. Um,
0: is it exhausting?
1: Yeah, I think it's more just like I start to feel like my own world, like narrow, like theirs is or something like that. Like I feel like the, the main like quality of that show is not so much like violence, but just like people who are really trapped. And they can't, like, get out of the choices that they've made for themselves. And I think that starts to just kind of, like, get to me and make me feel, like, claustrophobic.
0: And they desperately want to get out of the places that they're trapped in, right? That's part of the the beauty of it is, like, Tony doesn't want to be what he is. He's he's jealous of David Scatino, the sporting goods store owner. And you feel that. And uh, Carmela, which we'll talk to talk about in a moment, same thing. Is that part of what you're describing? That feeling of, like... I need to take a break from this because I'm succumbing in a way, or is it
1: um I don't know. it's kind of just that like I guess sort of like the choices that maybe this is what you're saying, like around the life of crime where you they're part of this like really claustrophobic brotherhood that they can that they can't betray, but so many of them do, and then they're just kind of like left with their like ulcers or whatever. um it's just there's just so much like existential. Anxiety around people's mistakes, or you know they commit crimes, and then they there's a thing that they can do, like they just have to kind of like keep going along the path that they've chosen, and that's just so like sad, I guess
0: have you you mentioned that you watched it multiple times? Have you watched it? Do you know? do you have like a count? how many times you've gone through the series?
1: Oh, I think I think like three, okay, um, which isn't I guess it's kind of a lot. maybe like every few years I'll decide that I want to start watching it again.
0: What about what makes you decide to want to watch it again? Is there a trigger?
1: <laughs> no, I don't know. I think I just get get the itch.
0: Okay. Do you have any thoughts on what makes it so rewatchable?
1: Um yeah, I mean I think part of it has to do with the ending and the fact that there isn't really a finite conclusion to the show. Um so you never really do know what happens to Tony and Carmela and AJ and Meadow so you kind of you never are sitting with the knowledge of what happens at the end like while you're watching an earlier episode there's always that like open-ended feeling but I think it also has to do with just how the plot lines work and how kind of crowded they are because I feel like I I can remember everything that happens in the show but I can't I can never remember like what things happen in episodes together like it always surprises me what various plot lines kind of come together in which episodes. Like I was rewatching some like recently and it, it really surprised me when the episode that Jean Pontecorvo commits suicide is the same episode that Junior shoots Tony. Mm. And like, I would never, like I would, that's they're not connected in my mind, but they're in the same episode. So I think that makes it really rewatchable too. Is you're always surprised by what things are happening
0: at the same time. It's a good observation. We um, the university episode in season three with Tracy, the the stripper who gets uh, killed by uh, mm-hmm. Ralphie. You forget that she's only in just one episode. It feels like she's stretched out over like a longer totally. term, and that's one of the amazing things about it. What episodes resonate for you personally?
1: I think the episodes with Gloria Trillo really get to me um something about her like emotional bleakness for me is really different than so many of the other depressed people on the show um she just has this darkness that i that actually makes me really uncomfortable i think the episode where she and tony break up me first break up or actually i guess when they break up the last time i actually kind of don't like watching it um
0: the london broil
1: Maybe there's a, there's a part where they break up and she calls him at the bang and she's like just making these horrible, like animal sobs. Like he kind of holds the receiver away from his ear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she can't, she can hardly speak. And just that kind of her, just that she's so in such a pit. And I think for whatever reason, that kind of like emotional register really really, like, resonates for me and and bothers me.
0: <laughs> in your piece uh, for The New Yorker, you write about Edie's crying. Um, the piece is, of course, it's a tribute to Edie Falco, who is amazing. Can you recall a specific scene or moment with respect to her crying that that stuck out when you were putting that together?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote about it a little bit in the piece, but for me, like, the two, I think, are first at the end of the white cap scene where she and Tony decide to split up. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's not really like when the scene starts, like you can see that she's been crying, like her makeup's all runny. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of gets through this blowout fight with him. And then he kind of acquiesces to her saying that, you know, she wants him to leave and she wants him to get a divorce. And then she like just sits on the bed. She kind of walks over to the bed in this weird way. like all kind of cramped and like delicately and then she sits on the bed and the moment that she like touches the bed she starts crying in this way that feels really recognizable to me in a strange way even though I've never like been divorced but it just seems like something about like sitting down is what makes her cry it's like this weirdly like choreographic moment where it seems like she's just realizing what she's done or what's going to happen or, or almost like how sad she's going to be like tomorrow or something like that. Um, mm. I guess she just has this way of like conveying a, to me, a very nuanced specific kind of sadness, like when she cries and then there's like when Tony um, is in his coma and one of the doctors in the hospital says that he's not going to make it or he says she should prepare herself for a negative outcome or something sort of clinical like that and like walks away from her. And then she just, um, she breaks down again, but it's like, I don't know. It's like something about the way she does it again. It's like a very physical, it's, it's, it's she's not speaking, there are no lines. So she's kind of like, she's communicating like a particular tenor of emotion with the way she's crying. And, and what she does is like, it's, it's really awful. <laughs> like she's kind of like, not gasping but almost like gagging or something like it's like she can barely even like cry because it's like so devastating and i mean it's very it's very different than the white cab scene but it's like very affecting as well
0: yeah no the contrast is the the contrasts of crying is amazing i love what you said about sitting down and for me it almost feels like the sitting down kind of allows the emotion to like it's like gives it gives permission to the emotion and then also, the sitting down also kind of like s- signifies like taking inventory on what just happened. Like, whoa, like the, like this is a blow and you kind of like, you know, get knocked down to the mat and you're like trying to get yourself up again. Um, yeah. Interesting. I love that you have that point of view and you articulated it so well. You also write that she, quote, she's committed to her family, but her discomfort with her situation because she habitually represses it emerges at inopportune times. When writing that line, what came to mind for you?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think like looking back at that observation, I think I kind of made that observation like as though Carmela is a real person and not based on like scenes that I've seen. Okay, <laughs> like that seems okay. to me to be like her, like her, my emotional read like of her, without necessarily having like exact moments that I feel like that happens per se. But I think that there are these moments where. She'll get angry with Meadow, especially when Meadow gets kind of like uppity about school or like books that Carmela hasn't read. Sure. And I, I mean, I'm reading into this like so much, but but that's actually, what we do. Always... It's totally
0: okay to do that, by the way. Right. This is a, this is a Sopranos <laughs> well, nerd out podcast, so
1: awesome. Well, to me, that always like her getting angry like that. It to me, it seems like more than just being jealous of her daughter having more opportunities than her. It seemed more like about her recognizing that she just has prevented herself from taking those opportunities. Like she has those opportunities too. Like she could like, she could have gone to college. I think she did actually go to college, but uh, right, exactly. Um, but to me, her anger kind of just signified that she really wasn't okay with herself. And that she was just, that she really traded something in like choosing the life that, that she does live. Um, I mean, her choices are so weird when you think about it, like to be married to someone who's a criminal. I mean, that's, that's something, but I mean, that's one thing, but then she also is in this like really repressive culture where like, she has like an allowance and can't get a side job. So I think like those moments where, where she just doesn't know how to handle Meadow. I think that's kind of like an an inopportune anger that she exhibits.
0: She's jealous of Meadow in many ways, right? I mean, that's, is that, is it, is it that, is that oversimplification or?
1: Well, I almost feel like it's like, she's like, oh, I didn't realize it was that easy. Like you just live differently. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, she's like, oh, so you go to school and then you get a job and then you're not dependent on, like, she's like, huh. Like, it's almost like she's just like blindsided by how possible it is or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's one of the, brilliant sort of, like, acting manifestations of Edie Falco is that, like, that sort of just without words, like you said, like, she's able to convey all these various types of emotions that we're able to interpret and parse in all these different ways. You write that Edie Falco gave a much, quote, naughtier performance. I really like that turn of phrase. I I just, I've never seen that word in her name in the same sentence. Can you parse that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I was just thinking about her in contrast to James Gandolfini and to like Tony's character. And I think with Tony, you kind of, you get the feeling that he's having like one thought at a time. Like he wants this, he wants like one thing in each moment, like to eat his ice cream and watch history channel or for like someone to die (laughs) or whatever. And like a lot of the time, like sort of the humor in his character is that you just see him be confronted with like an obstruction to his desires and he's kind of, like, pausing in sort of a brute, brutish way, like, spoon on the way to the mouth, like, oh, oh like, you want me to do what, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, with Carmela, I always just got the feeling that there's a, a number of different thoughts, like, happening in her mind. And in a certain way, I feel like that's just a realistic portrayal of, like, a, a wife and mother. Like, I feel like in family scenes, she's kind of performing all this emotional labor the way that, like women do so she's thinking about how x person is responding and how y person is responding kind of like putting that together so i think in a way it's just like a very accurate portrayal of like how women like function in their own homes Mm. um but yeah i think i just mean like you you got the sense that she was not not like weighing her words or or like consumed by her inner life but just having multiple sort of warring th- feelings happening at every moment. Mm. Um and then I think also just kind of like what I said a little bit overall in the piece just that she she has like so much insight as a character like she's a very articulate person, she knows she can tell right from wrong, but she is wrong. Yeah. Like she makes bad decisions. Yeah. And just like what you have to do as a smart person to do that is really complicated, I think. And so in every moment she's like creating this narrative for herself in order to keep existing. Mm. And it's, it's just like a complicated experience. By the way, have you,
0: have you written other Sopranos pieces or thought pieces or is this (laughs) your first one?
1: No, this is my first Sopranos thought piece.
0: Um, what spawned it? Was it the, was it the anniversary or...
1: Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I I and I mean, I've always like thought about the Sopranos like so much, and I had so many thoughts about it. And I think also just like seeing there was this like Today Show interview with the cast that I'm sure you saw. Yeah, yeah. And I think I just I just like love Edie Falco's way of dealing with pretty much everything. I guess like not that she's in this in the spotlight so much, but I guess in that interview she just has this kind of like directness to her and this way of like kind of shrugging off the iconic nature of the show like she she just she just is really committed to like the work that she does it seems to me so true um and like very committed and to like the present of like you know what she's doing and it just made me think about
0: her as an actor and, and how much I admire her. Yeah, she uh, she rose, unlike many of the actors on the show, she's sort of, like, moved way past it. Like, it's a it was a part of her life, but she's, you know, metamorphosed into so many different things and obviously is a testament to her, but also kind of a symbol, like, what you see, what you saw in that interview, that she's just sort of, like... I don't want to say over it, but she kind of felt like, yeah, I'm I'm here because I was asked and it's the 20th anniversary, but you know, I'm Edie Falco, not Carmela Soprano, you know?
1: Totally. Yeah. Right.
0: What about Carmela bothered you or did you find problematic?
1: Um, I mean, I, I was kind of saying this a second ago, but I think just in terms of what bothers me, like what, you know, maybe triggers my own like fears about my own personality. It's that stuff that I was saying about being like not being dumb but still making the wrong choice you know like the priest that tells her to live on the good part yeah um when she's having this moment of doubt really profound doubt about whether she can be consider herself a moral person or a god-fearing person and stay with tony and this priest tells her you know to find some internal boundary beyond which she won't go which is like really stupid you know it's like basically just like be a bystander sure (laughs) um and you know and it's not really good enough to to do that but um i don't know like it, it's it almost seems like she like if Carmela was like alive today and like on twitter she would be like the kind of person who like calls for like nuance in arguments where like nuance basically means like upholding the status
0: quo mm, you mm. know carmella on twitter is a, should should be a thing. You <laughs> yeah. should make it happen. She would she yeah, would no, never of be a
1: <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, just like that, she kind of uses her her intelligence to create just like impediments to doing the right thing.
0: I guess. Okay talk about the bus tour. Uh, you mentioned it in your piece. Um, lots of listeners have been on it. I've been on, I've been on one version or other, at least three different times over the course of my life. Uh Had you done it before? Um, and what inspired it this go around?
1: Oh, I had not done it before. And, um, my boyfriend actually got it for me for Christmas, (laughs) which is, was a really good, it's like probably one of the better presents that I've gotten. I, I had no idea it existed. Um, and I just like, couldn't believe it. And I was like, so psyched. So that's why I went and I hadn't gone before, but it's really, it's really fun. Like I didn't totally know if it would be cheesy.
0: It is kind of or, cheesy though.
1: But it kind of wasn't. I don't know. I kind of thought it wasn't. Well, like the, my, <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe we have different definitions of cheesy, but my tour guide had been on the show. So he kind of, the perspective that he brought was just like, all of these like rules about like show business and being on TV. And it was kind of interesting. Like it was like very technical, like this is how they would shoot this thing. And like, we would have to take a break after this many minutes. And like, did you know, like all the, all this back towards were very much like about what it's like to be a uh, actor with right. no lines right, on right. a TV show, um, which I kind of loved. I mean, like it was really fascinating and, you know, you do just go <laughs> like to a pizza place and like, park outside it and like look at it <laughs> which is so nerdy and like i just really really liked that like it it didn't make an attempt to like replicate the experience of the characters or something like that like it was just really straightforwardly like these are the locations uh maybe all locations are like that but i really liked it
0: definitely is fun and it's cool that you went did you get picked up at bryant park
1: yes it's like underneath this giant button yeah did
0: you just guess all the trivia questions, right? And get all the, um, I did. I, I crushed the trivia. I like, I, I I (laughs) crushed it. Um, and yeah, but I, the third time I didn't, I didn't participate because it was, I wanted to give someone else a chance, you know, (laughs) I'm an an equal opportunity, (laughs) uh, fellow tour bus rider.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, your favorite ED performance
1: you mean um, in the
0: show? In the show, yes. So favorite Carmela. Favorite Edie um, Falco performance as Carmela.
1: As Carmela. Um, I guess I, I I was thinking I really like her scenes where she's talking to Rosalie, like when they're talking about ch- their children or whatever's going on in their private lives. But I think that's actually just the writing that I like most in those scenes. But I really like the period of time where she's falling for Furio and then like dealing with him moving away. And I just, I, I, and this seems like you can really just see like when Phileo is coming to pick Tony up and she kind of like goes gaga and like fixes her hair and is just behaving in a totally like manic yeah. way. But, but like Tony doesn't notice at all and they're just, they're just living in like opposite realities kind of, but it's not, it's not played in an exaggerated way at all. And in and, and the, I mean, actually she's just kind of playing happy. Like she's playing herself mm, yeah, happy. Um, and I just, I really like those moments.
0: Can't let you go without asking about Dr. Melfi. Who's my favorite character thoughts on Dr. Melfi.
1: <laughs> um, I guess I always felt like Dr. Melfi is supposed to represent the audience. Like she's like in her armchair and she's like trying to figure Tony out and like, Sometimes like interrogate why she likes him and why she puts up with him, and like he's kind of like a character in her life in a certain way. Like she talks about him with her family, and she has this sort of like objectivity, quote unquote. But she's sort of drawn to him, obviously, while still like a boring his behavior. Um, so I guess I I always felt like she was kind of like a she's a character in a different like on a different level because she seems she, she's sort of more meta than the others are. Mm-hmm. But I think the first thing I, I think about with Dr. Melfi, the, the best kind of moment in her character arc, I think, is when she, after she's attacked and raped and she is thinking about whether to tell Tony what happened and then she just says no, like yes or what's wrong and she, you can tell that she's thinking that she could tell him about this guy mm. and that Tony would just kill him and then she just says no and then the like episode ends it was
0: amazing. So like ugh like just tell him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
0: she made that moral choice. And I think David Chase wrote about it afterwards. Like, you know, we should be we should applaud her for her moral choice and just like move past it. But it is uh we just recently watched it and talked about dissected that episode and it is still as devastating as it was the first time. You know, the fate to Black after she says no yeah and she's in totally. and she can totally tell him and I think the next episode is the is the first episode where Carmela and Tony are in therapy together mm-hmm. and uh Dr. Melfi has a moment where she I think the question was how are things going she's asked how are things going and she looks over at Tony yeah. and she says everything's fine but she kind of kind of locks eyes with him and it's almost like she wants to tell him again for a second time you know
1: hmm. well I didn't catch that
0: it never happens. Um,
1: but isn't it like, I mean, the fact that she's even thinking about having him like, well, I don't know the fact that she's, it just seems like she does. She gets a lot out of the fact that Tony has power because he's like a criminal under, he's like a boss. And I think she like likes that. Well, I think
0: she's attracted to that. I think she's attracted to him. I've always thought that. I think there's a mutual attraction there. She obviously keeps it professional and keeps it 100. But that particular moment when you've been sort of like, when you have had the worst possible thing in your life happen to you, and the justice system has clearly failed you, even though it was kind of, I thought it was written away a little too quickly. They didn't really develop that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm you have a solution where very few people in our society have a solution and it can make everything sort of like on the surface be better. And you choose to like not exercise that. I think that's what it is. It's the easy answer is to like have it be fixed, but obviously the right choice was made and, and and we're talking Uh about it 20 years later, but um, it was a unique, (laughs) it was a unique sort of window into the world of Dr. Melfi and and where where she was willing to draw the line.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Thoughts on the finale.
1: Um, well, I think Tony dies. That's my thought.
0: Did you think that when you saw it, or have you come to that determination?
1: Um, I guess I've come to that determination. I think I knew about the, what the ending was like before I ever started watching the show. Okay. Um, I knew there was like this sudden ending. I think pretty recently in some of the 20th anniversary coverage, there was mention of this like, Incredible blog where they analyze like every camera angle in the last scene yeah. in order to convince you that he's dead. And I, I kind of, when I read it, I kind of bought it. Yeah. Um, me too. but I think there's also just like lines in the show, like when he and Bobby are sitting in the paddle boat, mm-hmm. like talking about death, and either he or Bobby says something like the lights go off and the music stops. Yeah. Um, and, then, like, you know, there's Livia's, like, it's all a big nothing, and it just, like, echoes the way the characters have talked about death throughout the show. So, and I guess Carmella is an exception. She doesn't think about death like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I I also just think that the, when I think about the ending, I mostly think about um, Meadow parallel parking. Yeah. And then just how that scene, like, illustrates what this show is kind of driving at or, or reiterating throughout, which is just like life is really ordinary. And then there's also all this like awful potential for like a cataclysmic car accident to happen in the middle of the day, or like someone has a panic attack or a heart attack or something goes horribly wrong. And you know, like all these people are criminals, but also life is just like so much crueler than any human being. Um,
0: that's interesting. So like
1: when Menno is trying to park, you know, you just, you're think you're thinking like, you're not really thinking like, oh, is she going to make it into the restaurant? You're thinking like, oh, like what's going to happen with this car? Is there something, something's going to go wrong sure. in this moment? And it's like that kind of like that terrible potential in like any moment. And that's kind of like what that last scene to me is, is illustrating, which the show is like always kind of bringing home.
0: Tony's always on edge. Like I, for me, it's always been like that. Final sequence is kind of a window into what it's like to be in Tony's head, always looking, always checking, um, just never really fully being like in your in the comfort zone that we like we like regular people, I guess, or whatever, just ordinary people take for granted. Yeah,
1: totally. um,
0: And you just and it was culmination of all of that. And then obviously his daughter is it the last thing he sees? Is it not the last thing he sees? It's just sort of like the perfect. It's the perfect way to end, but it's the saddest way to end. But you know what I always say? It's the the best way to end because all it means is that you can just go back and start watching it over again.
1: Oh, totally. And I have done that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's the the saddest part about the ending is that it ends. The best part about the ending is that you can just go right back to the beginning. It's
1: like queue up one one. Yeah, Yeah,
0: for sure. Listen, Lizzie, this has been amazing. The piece of writing was great i enjoyed reading it thank you thank you for coming on the podcast and um yeah enjoy uh your next rewatch
1: thank you you too thanks for having me